This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. Welcome back to Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. Here with my co-host, Colin McClellan. What's up, man? What's going on, man? Do we have any good reviews? We do. I'm trying to pull it up. It's not pulling up on my phone. I've got one right here, though. Hold on. It says, the Joe Rogans of oil and gas. If you're interested in oil and gas and technology, you won't want to miss an episode. Jake and Colin are easy to listen to and always engage in interesting conversations with their guests. Definitely five out of five That's being pretty generous. That's very generous. So if you guys like the show, obviously we're, I don't know how many episodes in, the greatest way you can help us is just leave a rating and leave a review, share it with your friends. We've got tremendous feedback so far. seems like everybody's enjoying it. We keep bringing on absolute rock stars, telling their stories, and we'll continue to do so. So speaking of rock stars, unfortunately, we had one of the, one of the OGs in the oil and gas startup space pass away uh, early this week. Obviously, it'll be a few weeks from now once this is released. Raymond Plank. He was the founder and retired chairman of Apache Corporation. You know, he started off as a small, small oil and gas company with a two hundred fifty thousand dollars capitalization, and he grew it to a thirty billion dollar market cap. Absolutely insane! So, hats off to you know one of the uh, the OGs in this space. Rest in peace, Raymond Plank. Obviously, we all aspire to to be as awesome as that. And obviously, this is the show about startups and entrepreneurs. So, yeah, have a lot of respect for the people that come before us. Yep, exactly. So. Anyways, let's go ahead and welcome our guest to the show, Mark. How do you pronounce your last name? I'm not even sure. You're not even <laughs> sure either? It's, it's Bohorich. Bohorich, okay. And you're with Q Engineering. I am. So what's your story, man? Well, you know, I think that for us at, at Q, it's it's been about, you know, how do we deliver a solution that is solving the pain points we had as, as evaluators? Yeah. Both my founder and I, my co-founder and I are 10-year reservoir engineers that uh, left to start a software company to uh, solve the, the things we got tired of complaining about. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> it's the best way to do it, man. So how'd you, so okay, I guess really high level, what exactly do you guys do kind of elevator pitch, Q engineering? Sure. So, you know, I think that the the job of a reservoir engineer has changed quite significantly with the shale revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, when I got into the industry, it was it was you know let's find the next Barnett. Yeah. And uh, you know, the company I was fortunate enough to uh, accept a job offer with was the first JV partner with Chesapeake in the Haynesville shale, oh, wow. and really started the non-op JV revolution in, in stateside. And of course, there have been some some successes and some failures with those. Mm-hmm. But you know, being being in a, in a corporation as a fresh out of school kid with just nothing but stories from what the oil industry might be like to actually seeing what it looks like as it grew and, and awkwardly changed and was, was pretty exciting. And, uh, I was the only engineer under 40 at the, at PXP at the time. And, mm-hmm. uh, so they said, Hey, you can run Excel. Why don't you come up into, uh, corporate planning? And, <laughs> and, uh, I, I was trained by a great group of people up there. The guys that, that Jim Flores has working for him are all rock stars and was fortunate enough to, to be taught by what a, a person that I consider to be, you know, some of the best in the business as far as reserves and planning go. Mm. So there was no software. So you guys were using Excel. There was no software whatsoever. Well, in the in their very early days, right? And you know, I think, I think my story, and I know my partner's story, echoes this in in Apache where he where he started out. But 
the, the, as the job of the reservoir engineer changed, so too had the solutions that we needed to, to bring to those problems. There was a, a startup company at the time called Fiquette that mm. was moving out of Calgary and down into the Houston market. And they were really the only way that you could practically incredibly solve some of the problems that we were looking at. So they were, they were on the scene. We had, of course, Excel and VBA and, and ArcMap was a big, was a big part of our, of our workflow and, and peep. That was the, that was the, the, the software stack at the time. I'm interested in your personal story. So your reservoir engineer, you know, you've pretty much got your path forward as far as a career, you know, you're here with a good company. Is being an entrepreneur something that you've always known that you would be, or is that just something that came out of necessity? You know, you, you saw a problem, yeah. you figured out a solution and sure. bam, you know, you, you've got a company or was this kind of in the plans that you, you always wanted to run your own company? I'm going to, I'm going to share an embarrassing story is the best way to, Go for to it, put man. this. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so I was, I was fresh out of, I was interviewing for a bunch of different jobs and positions and I was sitting down at Oxy for an interview and the, they brought in a bunch of people to, to interview me. And, and, you know, I, like I, I did, I knew that school wasn't a predictor of what working in the career world was going to be. And so I was really excited to, to leave a university because although I had a lot of fun, you know, I, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't my deal. So I was just really excited to looking for the next thing. And I sit down in front of a room of, of technical professionals at Oxy. I was really excited about Oxy just because of the training program that they had. And, mm-hmm. and, and I like the way that they use science consistently to solve problems while mm-hmm. not talking about it. I think that's a, that's a rarity in, in a lot of organizations. And so I was really excited about it. And they asked me a question. So what do you see yourself in, in a couple of years? And I thought I was, you know, I was being really reserved. It's like, you know, I really kind of see myself moving into management and just kind of, you know, being, being a boss, that would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, strangely enough, they didn't call me back. But, you know, I think that what I didn't recognize at the time is that really what I wanted to be was an entrepreneur. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time coming into school, it was, you know, getting to be a boss, actually being an entrepreneur. And you guys know this, you guys are here as well. That's not, anywhere close to the truth when you start your own company. <laughs> I um, fucking love when people are like, oh, I want to be the CEO. I don't want any boss. I'm like, fucking world are you living in? Clients, investors, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I, I feel more stress. I feel like I have more responsibilities and more accountability. Well, there's so much more like weight on your shoulder, like your clients, potentially their, their businesses on your shoulders. You've got your employees that you're having to pay. Like, it's not just like, what about paying yourself? It's everybody else comes so first. you telling me that like, being a CEO doesn't mean that you get to live on the beach, live the laptop lifestyle. The laptop life, man. <laughs> Instagram's lied to me in the past few years. <laughs> I don't want to do this shit anymore. <laughs> so go ahead, man. Uh, no, that, that that's awesome. That's it's just one thing I was really interested in. Like, if this was something that you always kind of just saw yourself doing, or yeah. if it just kind of came about organically. No, I mean it's it's definitely been it's it's definitely been I think an early and often dream in in my life. We were Colin and I were at a uh, sorry Jacob and I were at a SBE Innovate event here just last that was week. A great event. It's a way. great event. The, the guys that put that together really did a top notch job mm-hmm. and what brought in a lot of really the great, one the, the the private equity event. Oh, the starting your oh, yeah. 
have like four pages yeah. of handwritten notes. I've got oh, like yeah. carpal tunnel in my hand. I was like, <laughs> but we were packing like sardines. So I couldn't like pull my laptop out. Jay, but... Jay came in here to type in his notes. He's like, fuck, I don't even know what I wrote down. I can't read my writing. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it was, it was probably some of the best information on starting a company. A lot of the things that they said were, were lessons that I learned just in my career, kind of some of the hard way. Mm-hmm. But one of the guys got up and, and it was the, the question that was posed is how do you know if you're an entrepreneur or how do you know if this is the mm-hmm. right path? And his answer was essentially, look, grab your best friend, not the guy that like, you know, will talk with you for not, a long not, time. Not your hype man. Not your hype man, <laughs> but the guy that will call you out and, and say, hey, am I an entrepreneur? If his answer is anything other than we're just waiting for you to figure that out yourself, of course, it's so obvious. If it's anything other than that, then, you know, just just be an entrepreneur and really kind of focus on the problems that you got in your company. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not, it's, it's, it's a needed thing, but if your best friend doesn't have some version of it's so obvious to me, you know, I can't help it. Then you probably should just do what you're doing. (laughs) I think a lot of that's also self-awareness. Like I know for myself, I always struggled with working for people from the very first job that I had. And maybe it was just me being like a young punk, like having like a problem with authority, but like, it sounds like our moms can commiserate. Yeah, exactly. And it was always me trying to find like a way to make a buck or a way for me to like create something to sell. And, you know, it was very, and it was, I guess it was during my time in the Marine Corps when you have more bosses than anywhere, when literally anybody who outranks you was considered your boss. I was like, I know what this is like, and I never want to experience this again. Like, I mean, the Marine Corps is like the ultimate, like corporate setting. It really is. Except like you can get the shit kicked out of you and all they completely control your life. And I was like, I will never, I was like, I'm, I always felt guilty because like I was such a good employee. Yeah. But I've always known that I, I mean, I got into oil to fucking learn how to start my own oil company. Like, I'm not going to keep working for other <laughs> companies. And like, I'd always make such a good employee and, you know, they'd be promoted. Like, literally my last job before I quit, I got promoted a month before I quit. <laughs> and, you know, like, I'd feel guilty. I'm like, man, I'm not sticking around this motherfucker. Like, <laughs> I'll do good work for you when I'm here, but <laughs> I'm going to start my own thing. But, you know, I think a, a lot of people have misconceptions when it comes to entrepreneurship and, it takes a lot, you know, there's a lot of gut checks and it's not always rainbows and butterflies. There's a lot, a lot more sucky days than good days. So, they, yeah. you know, you have to be made for the part. You can't just fake it. Oh yeah. No, I, I think that there's that, but on the other side of it, there's a lot of information out that you can use to kind of educate yourself before you jump off. There are some pretty important books in our in our journey early on that mm-hmm. I think informed the way that we did business and the way that we grew and changed as people through through this to get to this point. Do you have Very any cool. off the top of your head that you'd you list for people? Zero to one is definitely the, the, the top of the list uh, for me. You know, there's one that I'm trying to think of right now that I can see the picture of. I just can't think of the title. <laughs> there's so many, you know, not just books, but people forget that how powerful Google is. The internet's right. not just for sending fucking cat memes and mm-hmm. things of that nature. You know, you can learn a lot through there's, technical There's two more that kind of stick out to me because it's so focused on all the bad times of entrepreneurship. So the hard thing about hard things, but with Ben Horowitz yep. from Andreessen Horowitz. Yep. Cause it just talks about how like through it was like, over the course of like 10 or 15 years, he tells a story and it was pretty much all of the bad things that ever happened in his business. And then like they'd have one exit and they sell for a couple hundred million dollars. And then you start the next company and it was just all the bad stuff. And so if you can kind of deal with that. And then I think also 
we mentioned this, this is also brought up at the event. Shoe dog is also great because it also focuses on like the daily struggles that he went through as an entrepreneur. The shoe dog audio books, one of the best audio books out there for entrepreneurs, because it really shows you <laughs> like what yeah. you have to go through, especially when you're like in chicken and the egg situations where you need capital, you got sales, but you know, you don't have product. It, it goes through a lot of those issues from a, a firsthand account. So I'm not yeah. sure where I really draw the line. Like, so I, I know there's, there's resources and you need to educate yourself, but I also think that part of that recipe of an entrepreneur is also the resourcefulness to also figure things out as well. I think moving so, and just breaking shit too. So I'm yeah. sure you guys have made, we have uh, made, made no made mistakes. Of, <laughs> no, you made no mistakes. Okay. We got, we got all stars here. Straight road. Gonna, <laughs> this is going on the record on the podcast. So we're going to hold them to this. <laughs> no, tell us about it. Well, first of all, you know, I'm not really familiar with the solution that Q Engineering is sure. providing. So let's talk about yeah. that. Let's talk about what pain point you guys are solving so that our audience is familiar with it as well as myself. And then we'll dive into some of the challenges that you guys have seen. So give us give us an idea of what y'all are doing at Q Engineering. Sure. So, you know, my partner and I are evaluators at heart. That's that's really what we have have been blessed to, to be able to do in this industry. We had different backgrounds and different perspectives as far as what that looked like. My background is pretty commercial, very close to the to the reserves and the and and uh, kind of decision-making process. He kind of grew up at Apache and eventually got into new ventures. And so he was writing, you know, MATLAB scripts to, you know, do log analysis and, and look at the, the, the bleeding edge of plays. I was more playing with the existing data, worrying about how do you book reserves? What's a PUD? What's not a PUD? Okay. Those kinds of things. And, and so we had different but overlapping skill sets in that respect. You know, as a consequence of that, I wrote most of my software in SQL and he wrote most of his software in MATLAB. <laughs> and uh, when just providentially, we ended up working together as the as the technical team for Castleton Commodities. Yes, I was gonna ask, how did y'all link up? Yeah, just you know, total total serendipity, total providence, whatever you want to yeah. say. And you know, funny enough, James actually worked for my dad at Apache oh, okay. uh, in his group. <laughs> and when my dad retired, and sometime after that, James left, and he he and I were employees number two and three, started by a couple of Apache or ex Apache guys that uh, Craig Jarko and, and Britt Dearman from uh, Craig from First Reserve after Apache and then Britt Dearman from Forrest uh, Sabine. Mm. Great guys. They hired James and I out of out of our spots and, and brought us over. And, you know, I was focused on reserves and, and James was focused on acquisitions at, the, at that company. And and we really, I guess, we're fortunate enough to have the the mindset of, of being an entrepreneur, but not necessarily looking for, you know, I, I guess we both thought that what that would mean is, is starting, starting some version of, you know, rock bird or tree in the name and, and pursuing private equity funding. <laughs> and I think that's like 90% of the oil and gas well names, uh, between those three themes. So, uh, Unless <laughs> you're the Rice brothers and naming them after monster trucks and yeah. I know, wrestling stars. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, you know, that, that was what I thought I was going to do uh, when I when I got into the industry, but when James and I were working this problem kind of in the trenches, and I got to give credit to him because you know we're right on the onset of the prices fell down in uh, 2014, and they were in a depressed environment. The service guys were trying to stay afloat, and so they just flooded the market with profit to try to you know get completions to happen. People were drilling a lot of ducks, but not completing as many wells. The guys yeah. that were 
completing wells were using a lot more sand than they'd been doing in the past. Mm. And we were fortunate enough to have about six or seven months of data from that work while we were sitting at uh, Castle and Commodities with a mandate to buy gas in East Texas. And we were looking at, you know, all of the packages coming out of the bankruptcies, plus the stuff that was on the market at that time. And I think we're fortunate enough to have a problem. How do you spend a bunch of money? You know, they were looking to spend about a billion dollars and be right on the forefront of what is Propent doing to these well bores? And just the way it worked out here, I, here we are back in the Haynesville from where I started back in the, back in the day. And so it was really neat for me just to, just to feel the, the how small the industry was yeah. and is. But uh, we're working the same assets I used to work when I got out of school. And we're looking at forecasts from the new wells that instead of two to three BCF that we were looking at back in the day, we're now looking at 10 BCF. Wow. And, you know... It, how predictable is that? How stable is that? Well, James had to come up with a method for valuing that acreage. And, you know, as we, as we got through that acquisition and got into to closing the deal to purchase the Anadarko assets, we just realized that, Hey, we can, we can continue to buy and sell fields, but maybe we ought to start a company that, to solve this particular problem. How do you predict what a new well is going to be? How propin and lateral length is going to impact those EURs and economics? And, you know, how, what what's the right way to do that? And if we had started this company a year later or six months later, I don't think we would have gotten to where we are now is kind of just the way things have worked out. We've been really fortunate to develop a solution running on Amazon web services, but using Spotfire as a user interface and that flexibility and horsepower combined really sets us apart from, from the other guys that are in our space mm -hmm. and the clients have responded. I mean, we've been really honored and humbled to uh, have the growth that we've been seeing we started selling what was now our kind of first commercial package in, in March of this year. And we're past 80 companies now and that's awesome. 80. Jeez. So I feel like last time we talked, you said like 30 and that was that's like also four possible. months ago. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're growing fast as fuck. <laughs> but like, we've got a great team. I mean, it's not, I mentioned Fiquette at the beginning, as far as software stack in my career, we've got four guys from the Fiquette organization that are doing this with us now. Wow. So having a mix of experience and understanding at the team is, is what it's all about. I mean, I think James and I had an idea and then we had a really dirty prototype and then we had a prototype that mostly worked as long as you didn't do the thing that you wanted to do. And then we had <laughs> a kind of a working prototype for most things, but it wasn't until March that we had a software package. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the guys from, from Fiquette came in, they had grown Fiquette from nothing to, you know, I, I don't know what their revenues were, but they were a lot. And really what they did well more than writing good software was really supporting the user base and solving the problems. And so we've got four of those guys on our team. We're very focused on our clients. Been fortunate not to have to raise any money to get to the point that we're at today. Wow. And so we're hundred percent focused on what our clients want and we're, we're trying to be responsive to that. So you guys are funded all, all self-funded by yeah. revenue. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. We were literally talking about that with Blue Bear. So we had Blue Bear in here a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I had asked them, I was like, obviously you guys are VCs and they might be a little bit biased, but I, you know, what I see talking to a lot of entrepreneurs since we talked to so many is that so many entrepreneurs get so focused on raising money rather than actually building a 
a scalable business and that's like become like the rite of passage. It's like, okay, we raised money, we made it done. And it's like, well, no, like now you have to actually go build a company and deploy this capital. So it's refreshing to hear that you guys have gone out and, you know, done yeah, this, the bootstrap. I have that. to say that I don't recommend it though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll pay off for you when acquisition time comes and, you know, you guys maintain a hundred percent equity. You know, one of the things that happens with entrepreneurs and I, I know you guys are here too, is I'm not worried about next month when I can barely figure out how we're going to get through this week. And, <laughs> yeah, we understand that 100%. And, and I, I, th- I think that, you know, we we weren't sure if we had a product until we had a product and we just haven't taken the time to, to raise money around what we have. Not saying that we're not going to, mm-hmm. we, I think we're probably a little too conservative in, in, in figuring out what we have. It would be really nice to have a partner in this game right now, mm-hmm. helping us figure out what to do next. We're, yeah. we're trying to supply that through friends and uh, we've gotten, we've got a lot of really good people helping us out, just giving us good advice and, and awesome. helping us keep focused right now. Yeah. Jake said we had blueberry capital in here and in that conversation we talked about you know especially in the software space that you really need to have a workable product an mvp in the software space because it shows the resourcefulness of the founders to be able to you know build something and push it even if it's a rudimentary version of what you have vision you need to be able to bring that to market without capital. I think that really shows what the founders are made of. And so it's really cool hearing about you guys, you know, you'd built something even if it wasn't perfect and then just refine as, as time passes. I think that's really a key indicator of who's going to be successful and who's not. So is it, is it just, is it evaluations, but is it economics tied into that as well to feed into the evaluations? You know, we, we're not trying to be Aries Peep or PhD Win. You know, I think that, uh, you know, we've got a great working relationship with PhD Win in particular, and David Pacenda has been a great guy to, to kind of bounce ideas off of. And he's been very helpful to us. And, you know, he's been down this road. I don't think he and his partner have raised money yet either. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they've been doing what they've been doing kind of the OG way before you <laughs> had cloud computing to really just kind of flip things on yeah. and go. So a lot of respect out to him. He's been really helpful to us. You know, Tim Seppel at iLandman has, has been really helpful. And uh, there's too many others to, to count. But this is really a, a team industry. It really feels like that. Uh, mm-hmm. People really want to help each other out. And uh, I'm proud and excited to be here. Yeah, it is really crazy. You know, we see that all the time in oil and gas is the amount of help that you can get from other people. And, you know, we've we've got a friend, Zach, that helps us out a tremendous amount with our financial models. And like, I, I, I try to pay him, I try to give him equity and the motherfucker won't take anything. I'm like... <laughs> man, why do you help us so much? Like, you know, let us compensate you. And, you know, the oil and gas is full of great people like that. So, you know, it really comes down to networking as well, being able to have that network to fall back on and, and the, get assistance. The collaborative effort on the, particularly on the software side, you know, we see this with WellHub. I mean, that's a big reason is why we exist is traditionally a lot of the legacy software never played nice with each other. Yeah. You know, and so now it's a, it's a, it's a different world. And so now we can kind of be that integration hub to connect in, you know, different allow companies to kind of create that ecosystem for sure. themselves and not yeah. pigeonhole them into something or make them use your products it has to be a group effort there's not one vendor out there that's going to come out and build everything that an emp or a service company or whoever it is is, is going to need Mark, so, one interesting thing that you talked about briefly was the timing mm-hmm. of all of this and i believe timing is one of the most critical mm-hmm. aspects of having a successful startup and you know even you look you guys are using aws and uh, Spotfire, and you know these technologies might not have been available a few years ago if you guys had this idea just like you said some of the companies existing companies in the space don't leverage these technologies 
Well, they're they're starting to, but it's harder to 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 co-opt an older system. Exactly, on new technology. exactly. Yeah. It's a lot easier to build out from scratch with a new technology than it is to yeah. try to you know reverse engineer it. You said that you don't think that it would work if you guys had started six months to a year later. Why? Why was that? What was the timing? Well, I, that I mean, I think that you know, software business is a competitive business. It's it, you know, I think that. The, the history shows that uh, the, the guys that are able to kind of get out in the market first mm-hmm. usually take about 80% of whatever niche that they've got. And, you know, I think that traction has has been nonlinear for us. You know, I think it took us forever to get those first five clients. And, you know, now we you know, walk into offices and, and show a software and, and, you know, we don't have to say all the things that we're hoping to do or that we might be able to do. But it's it's kind of this is what, you know, 80 of your 80 people in the industry have said, yep, this works. This is what we're going to do. This that's is how awesome. we're going to do it. And so, you know, my you know, I think that that's that's why it's because of, of the competition. Let's talk about your penetration in the market. So, sure. you, so you started out with five clients. What what do those clients look like? Were those you know smaller to midsize uh, private equity backed operators? We had a really good mix, but I mean, I think one of the things that was harder for us to understand was that you know we had a product that was better than what we would have done. But I think what we didn't appreciate is that I think we intuitively understood, but didn't really understand what we were looking for in, in our first clients. I mean, I think that you've got a certain subset of the population that really just is willing to go through the the pain of working with something that that works sometimes in order to, to, yeah. to help you guys out. And, and like the first five clients we had, honestly, they, we wouldn't be a company without finding them. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, in you know, we knocked on 150 doors to find. Yeah, can we talk those, about that process five. a little bit? Because we have a lot of listeners that you know are aspiring entrepreneurs. They want to uh, launch their own startup. We also have a lot of EMPs software. are looking to try new technologies. So yeah, yeah, we have a lot of EMPs that are looking <laughs> to uh, try new technologies, but. One thing that Jake and I talk a lot about is when you have these new startups, we especially see this with companies outside of oil and gas that want to bring their technology to oil and gas, they start attacking the, the majors. You know, they're like, oh, well, Shell and Chevron are talking to us. And it's, you know, like that to them, that is like the industry. It's like, yeah, the, you've, got, you've got six companies and that's the market. And I'm like, great, if you want to kill your startup, go ahead and focus on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to definitely match. One of the early pieces of advice that that we were given is that your 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 company and your marketing and your price and your solution all have to align. <laughs> so, so, Only a few pieces, huh? <laughs> so you know, it's it's a difficult balance to get there. But I think that you know you're going to have guys that you know. I think Fiquette's story, I, from what I know of of you know Wellspring and, and and what and what Peter Tyler and those guys were able to do. You know, those sometimes you get an early believer, early adopter. That's a big company. That's not the path that we took, but in those cases, as well in ours, I guarantee you that the person that, that signed up to test bad software believed in the process of iterating. And that's really what you got to find when you get something going. I like that a lot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, cause we're in that, you know, I think like meant last time I mentioned, we, we weren't even piloting yet. We were still kind of fishing over MVP with sure. Hub, And so we started piloting, uh, begin the implementation well, about a month and a half ago. And it's so, so, so important. I think people don't understand it unless they actually go through it, that you find partners that are extremely just forward thinking and they understand the process and they're not going to like, you know, constantly be like, oh, well, you know, why is this going the way that it is? It's like, you know, and they're willing to work with you and give you feedback and 
really have to find champions within you really, the companies. You really do. That, that and, and you kind of do have to work in order to move fast. You kind of have to move slow through that process, yeah. which is what I keep reminding myself because I'm obviously impatient and I would love to we all go ahead and just expand. To, <laughs> you know, we have companies lined up waiting to use it. And it's like, okay, well, you know, let's just hurry up and just do three pilots. But it's like, no, let's, okay, <laughs> breathe. Let's so just I mentioned, I mentioned that, we're, that we made no mistakes as a startup. And oh, are we about to get the truth? It's <laughs> <laughs> about to open you know, up. I, I think that, you know, I think that the team of, the team of the startup is vital. You know, I think mm -hmm. that you got to find those clients that are willing to, to use bad software in order to help you iterate. They're as much a part of your company, or at least it felt like to us, they were as part of our company, especially early on. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, the first time we shipped off a product, if we didn't have a guy using it, I don't know if we would have folded up at that point or not. Like, you know, if we had one guy at the company that we rolled out to first that, that really, dug in and got, gave us lots of feedback and suffered through lots of things. If, you know, if it wasn't for him, I don't know where we would be. And uh, we've got that, that guy in that company kind of repeated a couple of times to get to our first five. And, you know, I, I think that there was a, there's a quote that caused a lot of consternation when Obama said it, but he, he said, you know, you didn't build that. And, you know, his point was talking about the infrastructure of the United States and all of the things that we have as a country now to take advantage of. And, and that's not my cup of tea, but as an entrepreneur, I think that you got to come into the fact that you're not going to have everything and that you really do need to realize that you got to lean on the system that's around you and the industry that's around you. I think our industry in particular has a long history of innovation, probably because we're most open about how we work together. And, uh, you know, you look at, you look at a guy like Raymond Plank and you hear him tell stories and, you know, he, impossible situations. Jim Flores is one of those guys that he tells a story and you're like, wait a minute, that can't possibly be true because it would require somebody else that you're working with to kind of understand the game that you're playing and really wants you to be successful as much as you want to be successful. And that's, I think, a unique facet of our industry. And, you know, I think that if you look at the innovations that have come out of the oil and gas industry, it starts at the bottom, the guys in South Louisiana in a tool shed, right? Those guys are inventing things that have made horizontal drilling possible. And then, you know, I'm sitting up in an air conditioned office as a, as a, as a kid fresh out of college writing Excel code. And that's all part of it. I mean, you can't have this industry without all of the different pieces of it. It's really funny with that Obama quote, you didn't build that. I completely forgot about that. And when that happened, Clayton Williams, OG Wildcatter out in Midland, he made this banner and had one of his rigs on it and said something along the lines of, I did build that. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the few people who could say that. <laughs> yeah. 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 When you're a, when you're a Wildcatter billionaire, you can say whatever the fuck you want to say. So, but no, I, I agree with you a hundred percent on that, man. And it's the same thing with everything that we do. It, it really is a team effort. And you know, you, you can only go so far by, by yourself. And if you don't have a whole, whole network and team to support you, it's going to be, especially in oil and gas, especially yeah. Yeah. in oil and gas. I think, I think a lot field. of like, especially like first time founders, I mean, it does not necessarily have to be that, but I think a lot of the times you, you see yourself as an A player and you feel threatened by bringing in other A players, but really, I mean, you, I mean, if, if you bring in a B player and the B player brings in a C player, the whole team just gets worse. And so we've, and we think we've been very, very early on. We want to surround ourselves with people who are just way better at whatever it is. And we've got a rock star team with. I think know. it's one of the hardest things, and you can probably attest to this, is when you're a founder, CEO, one of the hardest parts of that role is managing a team of people that are smarter than you. 
you know, you want to bring in the smartest people mm-hmm. possible. And sometimes it can be kind of daunting for people to think that you're going to be the dumbest one in a room, but somehow you're supposed to lead these people as well. Well, I don't know if I have much wisdom to share on that road. We've got a great team of guys that really understand their role and position. They don't need a whole lot of uh, management in that. Yeah, that that's also word. important. Nice. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think one of the unique things about us is that James and I are co-founders and we have about as different personality types as you can get in, in a <laughs> pair of co-founders with similar background and experience. But I think that in, there have been times when I've said, James, you are crazy. And there's been times when he said, Mark, you are crazy. And both of us has been partially right and partially wrong, <laughs> usually for most of the time. Yeah. And so having a, having somebody that is, is much better than I am at, you know, so much of, of what you need to be successful. You know, I think that as we've worked together and as we've kind of struggled through things together, we've developed a way that we kind of both know when we need to back off of whatever our thought process is. And, I was going to ask how y'all manage that because Jake and I, I think that's trust. one, I, yeah. think, I think Jake and I, that's one of the best things that we have in our working relationship is that we don't always agree on things, but we never waste time arguing or disagreeing we on something. Instantly we, resolved. We were getting interviewed by, by somebody the other day and they were asking yeah. these questions and they were like, what do you guys fight about? And I was like, literally <laughs> nothing. Like we can disagree about something and we'll have it resolved within 30 seconds. Yeah. You got to have that because there's just too many times when, you, especially when, when you're both so passionate about success and understand and seeing something through, you're going to see, you know, askance sometimes. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're both right for whatever it is that you're worried about. So one of you is just more right. And, <laughs> you know, I think that one of the things I didn't really fully appreciate is when we worked together at Castleton, there were lots of opportunities for us to disagree about what we should be doing. And we, I think both handled ourselves professionally in that. And that, that history of working together without so much the, the pressures of, of having a startup company really convinced ourselves that we could look each other in the eye down the road and, and not know where we are and, and, and yet trust that we're both in the same spot together and Mm -hmm. that, that we're going to be there. So I think that, you know, number one is, is, is basically the, that first group of people that you pull around yourself to, to get an idea and execute on it, you know, having somebody as you know, that, that you just have worked with and have trust in, I think is a, is a big part is a, is a big theme at the innovate conference as well. Just, just having a team that's worked together before. Yeah. Trust is extremely, extremely important. I think we know pretty early when we bring in people that either we have chemistry or we don't, and we can tell probably within the first few minutes. Yeah. And so you use the term startup, but you guys have 80 clients now, you know, that's a sizable market share when you're talking about oil and gas. How long have you guys been at Q Engineering? How long have you been doing this officially? Two years. Two years, man. That's like a ex- full two years now. Yeah. That's excellent, man. That's excellent traction. What's the outlook look like for the next one to two years? You know, what what do you guys don't screw at? it up? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, that kind of like the daily, the daily reminder? <laughs> Mark wakes up, brushes like, his teeth. Look, look, don't screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean this. Q engineering has gone beyond James and I at this point, right? And so thankfully, neither James nor I has to have the answer for what we have to do. I think that we're, we've got a great team around us. You know, we brought on, you know, like I mentioned, these guys from Fiquette, they've been down this road before. They've got a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. When we have questions, we can, we've got a, a huge pool of people to reach out to and say, hey, how do we do this now? Or we're stuck here, or we think this is going to be really bad or whatever it is. And you know, having a team of people that have been down the road that you're trying to go down, I think is, is a vital part of, 
of having a company and, and whether we're successful or not, I don't know, but we're having fun right now. And that's, what's important. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm just super stoked for you guys. I mean, especially no. since the last time that we like actually sat down, like obviously we run into each other, but you know, last time we sat down, you're like, yeah, we're in 30 companies. Like, man, these guys are fucking crushing it. And then you're like an 80 and I'm like, God, he's like, we'll see if we're successful. I'm like, man, you're doing pretty, pretty good <laughs> moving towards that. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that I've, I've been fortunate enough to keep fresh in my mind, you guys remember Kickstarter when that was a, that yeah. was a big oh, deal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So do you guys remember the Pebble watch? Yeah. Yep, do you guys do. know what happened to them? They, no. they like raised more money than anybody ever, and then they like folded like what or somebody maybe did somebody. So I, I'm, buy a, I'm an early folded? adopter just by just by nature, oh, yeah, and okay. so I I got the Kickstarter Pebble Watch. I was really excited about it. I, I showed it to all my friends. You know, people told me it looked stupid, and and I was a nerd, and they were right. <laughs> but you know, I was just like, man, a company can just start from nothing and they can kill it. I mean, you know, the part of their deal is that you know they shopped the concept of a watch paired to a so uh, smartphone around Apple and Samsung and pretty much anybody that they could get a meeting with. They were all told they were stupid. And so they just did it, right? They, they launched the company, they started going and then, you know, they got to us, they got to, you know, they got the first watch and then the second watch and then third and fourth watch. Apparently, and I got this from Engadget and I'm not an, I don't remember numbers well, but apparently Citizen at one point offered them $781 million. Jeez, would have taken that. And they turned it down. And then Apple came out with series two and they're done and they're folded, you know, six months later. And yeah, there's some, the software business is not a business you can rest on your laurels at any point. I think that, you know, you've got a commitment in starting this business and we certainly keep this fresh in mind that, you know, if we can't keep our users happy, then we're going to lose them. And Absolutely. it's about continuing to innovate and continuing to be the best at what we do. It's not enough to have 80 companies, not enough to have a hundred. It's not even about the number of companies. It's about are we delivering on the promises that we walk into a boardroom every day and mm -hmm. say, Hey, if you, if you pick us up, you're joining team Q and we're going to continue that torch and we're going to build a company that you're going to be proud of. I think that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge selling point for the companies wanting to work with you is understanding and knowing that you guys want to come in. You truly want to solve this problem. You've lived it yourself. You know, you've built a solution for these guys and listening to the customer is like, I cannot stress enough. That is your number one priority. Listen to them, find out what the problems are. And even with you guys growing as fast as you are, you know, now it's like, okay, well, what other problems can we help you solve? You know, what else does your, you know, what else are you guys dealing with? And always, always innovating and looking forward to, to, you know, push the boundaries of what's actually possible. And I'd add, what are we not doing well right now? Exactly. I think that that's yeah. a, that, mm -hmm. yeah. that, that's a, that's a key question. There's that we always ask things you can break and do better for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You still have your Pebble watch? I do. In fact, <laughs> I, I, I got three Pebble watches over the course, and you know I, I've got a little display case at home. Just remind me, don't screw it up. That's <laughs> fucking awesome, dude. I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's a hell of a reminder. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, I, I think a lot of people do get that misconception as well. Like, they think that there's this point where you, mm -hmm. you just make it. And always like I man, I I'm an Elon Musk fanboy. Like yeah. I, I love everything that Elon does, and you just look at it. I mean, w with uh, SpaceX and Tesla, it's kind of a day-to-day -day operation. It seems at, at times where either everything can be going great or everything seems like it's about to fold, and you never just reach this point where you've made it. Especially when it comes to technology, you have to keep pushing forward and stay on your toes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I certainly think that that's kind of the realm we're on. I mean, obviously you've got those, those entrepreneurs that have made it like several times over. So Elon is 
classic example. He could have, he, he's been, he's made it like, I don't know, like three or four times <laughs> and he keeps wanting to put it all in and go for the next one and, and hats off to the guy. I mean, he, he definitely is pushing a lot of the boundaries. I think it points to the personality you have to have as an entrepreneur in mm-hmm. order to be Elon Musk. To and, be a glutton for punishment. Yeah, I mean, you, you really <laughs> yeah. like, there is no such thing as success for an, for an entrepreneur. I mean, I, I think that every day it's about what are you doing right now? And that's really where lenses need to be in order to keep you in, in the right spot. In my, you know, it's kind of experience, kind of whatever it is. Being an entrepreneur, you know, you're, it, you want to be satisfied and have gratitude, but at the same time, you're never, you're Content never. Content or complacent. Yeah. Yeah, have you, you guys know? seen the Hamilton musical? I have I not. No, oh. I haven't. Okay. You, you, the, the music is, is great. If you don't get a chance to see it on stage, at least listen to the album start to finish. Okay. But you look at guys that have done something truly extraordinary. There's a little bit of crazy in every single one of them. And sometimes a lot of crazy. And <laughs> you know, there, I think that that's a, that's a pretty consistent theme. Yeah, it is for sure. You have to be crazy to go through entrepreneurship, especially startup. I think there's, it was in some book, I don't remember what book it was, probably one of the ones we mentioned, but you know, there's only two feelings in entrepreneurship. It's, you know, it's pure bliss or it's pure agony and there's like nothing in between. And we definitely experienced that as far as like the shift from hour to hour, you know, one email. Yeah, it's not, it's it's not, it's it's not even it gets day. better when, when you get a little bit of sustainability. I think that pulling a, a team around you that have, has been down the road before kind of helps iron things out a bit. Mm. You know, we get to, we've got a, a pretty open culture as, as, as a company goes and, you know, keeping wins, uh, front and center and then things that we're not doing as well or you know i think everybody celebrating wins and in, in, in morning losses at the same time is, is is has been a key role for us but there's one element of this that we haven't quite gotten to yet and i think has been a big part of what james and i are trying to do and with the team that we have now but you know we've got a company christmas party december 7th and around that table are going to be the the 10 guys that 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 sit down together and 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 go to work every day and and mm-hmm. and work at the company but there's also going to be you know eight spouses there and you know, those, those, those women are, have, have been at home encouraging us when we've been down, they've been building us up. They've been telling us we're crazy when we've been crazy and helping us kind of keep things front and center. And, and, uh, you know, I think that there's, uh, there's an important point that whether if you have a wife, when you're an entrepreneur, she gets to be an entrepreneur tour too. It's something that you have to make a decision as a, as a family and just press in and, you know, she gets, a lot less information and has to run on a lot more trust than, than James and I get when we look at each other every day. So I think that, you know, I think that, that, that needs to be mentioned as well. Very important element. Yeah. And then if you have a spouse that isn't like we can have a whole show, I'm thinking all the things I can say. Andy Priscilla has a quote that I fucking love. If you want to be an entrepreneur and you have an unsupportive spouse, he says, drop the anchor, get a propeller. And (laughs) it's a hundred percent true because, you know, just like you have to have that, that network and that team to help you build product. You have to have that support from the people that are closest to you as well, because they go through it and have to endure. But I think it also, I mean, you have to be realistic about that if there is resistance sometimes and maybe a lot of times it's well-founded like there, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it's not about, you know, just shedding everything just to pursue a goal, but you got to get there as a group of people that still like each other at the end of the day. And that's something that the guys from Fiquette really have done before, you know, employees that we have with us, they were early on employees building an office from scratch. So they know exactly what they've done this before their wives have been with them through the first round and they kind of, they kind of have helped us, you know, think about things 
sober headedly and clearly. And it's, it's about, you know, if, if you're struggling or going through a hard time and it can be you or it could be your spouse, you know, talking about it, going through, getting some help is, is an important part of the process. I agree 100%. I think if I didn't have that support system at home, even though sometimes she was like, you're absolutely crazy. And sometimes she was right. You know, most of the time I feel like I wouldn't have the, the amount of focus to really just dig my heels in and spend that extra time. And obviously that does come at a cost. Sometimes there are definitely some straining moments because I've been married for like six years now where you're like, you know, <laughs> hi, like we're still married. Like, Hey, you know, I'm like <laughs> still here, but you know, I think you just kind of have a mutual understanding, you know, we're, we're a lot better off than we were, you know, even, you know, two or three years ago, you know, with that struggle. And I think she's starting to realize that. And so I think, I think our wives are starting to come around to thinking that like, okay, like I think these guys can pull something off. And one thing that you said that it's a little off topic, but you're talking about sometimes, you know, resistance can be a good thing and kind of change your path. This isn't related to relationships, but a lot of times companies face resistance and I'll see a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of companies will keep trying to go against that resistance instead of pivoting and taking a different direction. Is there any moment you can think in Q Engineering the last couple of years where you guys were trying something that wasn't working out and you pivoted to a different approach, a different angle that worked out for you. Is there anything? Yeah. I think, I think the word pivot is, is a dangerous word because, mm -hmm. you know, I think that there's always going to be resistance when you try to do something new. So knowing when to pivot is a hard one. That's really when you got to lean on your, on your network and, and really try to figure out what, if what you're doing is going to work. You know, I think that uh, because we, we so intensely felt the problem so early on, we didn't have necessarily that pivot opportunity when very early days, like, you know, two years ago, James and I looked at each other and we're like, okay, so we just quit. Now, what do we do? Um, <laughs> Sounds you know, like me earlier this year. <laughs> you know, I think talking, uh, you know, we had a model, we put together a business plan before we started and we did none of it. We, you know, but at the same time, we didn't necessarily really ever pivot in, yeah. in the true sense of the word. Now, I think that pivoting is a natural part of entrepreneurship. You know, it's not one I can necessarily speak credibly to, but I, I think that in small ways, of course, we've evolved and we've adapted and, you know, we've really tried to learn from the resources that are out there in the, in the industry. But, you know, a pure pivot, I think that, you know, I, I don't, that's not my background. Okay. Well, I think before we close out this episode, we need to take bets on how many clients Q Engineering is going to have the next time they're on the show. Probably 200 clients in the next, what, six months? What's the goal? What's the goal for the next year? How, how many, what's the KPI for clients that you guys want to bring um, on? You know, I think what the, the, the thing that we pay attention to, I think more the thing that we internally track is obviously as a team, we have responsibilities to one another about, about how to do it, but we're more interested, I think, in how are we doing with the clients that we have? You know, I think that that's, that's really what we're, mm -hmm. we're focused on as a company. It's not quality over quantity. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, if we're really solving a problem for, for the industry, then that's where we're, our focus should be. And the sales will come, you know, we have, you know, we have, you know, obviously you can't not think about that. That's the oxygen that you need to survive as a company, especially when you haven't raised money. It's, it's a big part of the process, but I think as far as what we're focused on and what we talk about every Monday, when we sit down and talk about what we're working on, it tends to be a lot more, Hey, where are we falling short? What do we need to add? 
you know, where's the product right now? Are we delivering on timelines? Uh, what, you know, are we well resourced here? And those mm-hmm. kinds of questions that are really more about, you know, what are we bringing in value to the clients that said, yep, because we got so many guys that signed up with us when we had, you know, just a product or a concept or an idea and, you know, calling them and, and, and checking up with them and say, hey, how's it going? And hearing what they have to say, good or bad, and, and, and making it right is, is, is really where our focus is right now. Great. Yeah, this is a jam-packed. Yeah, man. This I'm is, excited for you guys. I mean, this, this is, is awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited for you yeah. guys too. It'd so if cool anybody to wants to reach out, where can they find you guys? Yeah, so it's www.q.engineering for all that kind of stuff. There's no.com because we thought it would be a good idea to, to break the mold and not have a .com, but most <laughs> people it. put it on there anyway. Yeah. My email is marketq.engineering. And you guys you know, on LinkedIn? Are you on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn, okay. whatever. You know, I think that that uh, definitely welcome any thoughts that, that people have. And you know, it's, it's a shame that I'm here and I don't have the nine other guys that are with us because that's what Q Engineering is. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll put links in the show notes to all the ways that you can connect with Mark and the Q Engineering team. Once again, thanks for being here, Mark. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Guys, appreciate you. For the next time. Come, 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 come.